Thank you, Allison. It is all about love, isn't it? It always is with God. And so uh, here we are two days away from Valentine's Day, three days. Um, it's appropriate to speak of love. Do we see love? Do we perceive it from our God or not? To see or not to see, that is the question. Let's pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I invite you today to follow along with the text, if you like, but I will try to carefully cover it and point some more things out and expand on uh, the, the lovely uh, synopsis that Allison has already given. We begin our story today with Jesus' disciples observing a blind man begging in the streets who was believed to have been born blind. The disciples then wondered out loud what had caused this man's afflictions. They figured there were uh, two options. Either he or his parents had sinned badly enough to cause the blindness. Sin was commonly believed at this time to be the cause of illness, deformity, misfortune, and so forth. If it was his parents, their child was basically being punished for their sins. If it was the blind man himself, Wait a minute, if it was the blind man and he was born blind, then when did he have a chance to sin before he was blind to bring the curse upon himself? Well, in the womb, of course. Yes, indeed, it was taught at this time that a baby could sin in the womb. How do you like that? What, what do you think uh, all the uh, moms out there who have been pregnant? Uh, I mean, what, what sort of sin would that be, really? Um, kicking, kicking mom too hard or planning to escape early? <laughs> Putting on too much weight? <laughs> well, they had their reasons. Jacob, we may recall, was up to no good, even in his mother's womb. You can look at that story if you want. Now, notice how this belief about illness being caused by sin makes an armchair judge out of everyone. If someone has an affliction or misfortune, well, it must have been some awful thing they did. And we can do awful things to each other over such belief systems. Then Jesus says to his disciples, no, his blindness has nothing to do with his sins. The blindness is there to reveal the glory of God. So rather than whose sin caused this man's blindness, the question Jesus poses is, how might God's love be revealed in him? What kind of restoration may be at hand? Do you see how Jesus is sort of saying here, okay, guys, don't, don't look over, focus, center yourselves. Look right here, right here, right here being Jesus. God loosened the world, restoring frail 
lives. And so he restores the sight of the man born blind, using, of all things, mud to do so, as Allison pointed out. How often do we assume when someone is suffering that, well, it must be their fault. And if it is their fault, they're only getting what they deserve. It's commonly assumed um, by many of us at times that those who live in poverty or have chronic health issues are reaping what they sow. Then it's all too easy to say, is it not? Well, it's not my business then. What if we saw human brokenness as an opportunity for the God of love to bring healing and hope? Maybe we would be less likely to think some, some people don't deserve good things, while well, we, of course, do, and more likely to share what we have because we think God is at work bringing light into a dark world. And in this story, we're just beginning to see that sin itself is not what the disciples and everyone else thinks that it is. It's not someone breaking a law or rule. It's not having an illness. Sin is blindness. The failure to trust in God who is fully present in Jesus. This story is about a blind man who recovers his sight in more ways than one. And it's about a group of men who think they have 20-20 vision in all things spiritual, but they plunge deeper and deeper into blindness. We know the disciples don't see everything clearly here, but now it's the crowd's turn. They've known this blind man his whole life, yet after he's healed, the crowd doesn't recognize him. At least they're not sure it's the same man. How often do we not recognize the works of God because we are blind to the God who is active among us? We're distracted for some reason. One of the faith practices that we've begun here at Mount Carmel is the practice of gratitude. Practicing gratitude teaches us to look for and recognize God, God's works in our lives and then to name them and give thanks for them. Another practice is simply looking for where we see God showing up in our world to reveal his glory so that we are not blind to this. Uh, some of us in different groups have even taken pictures of where we see God. There is much about blindness in this text, but it's the blindness of the Pharisees that really stands out here. They've heard now of this man's eyesight being restored, but they're convinced it's a bad thing. Why would that be a bad thing? Well, because even though a man who once was blind now sees, there's even a song about that that we're going to sing later, the Pharisees thought it didn't matter because the man who healed him broke the Sabbath law and is therefore a sinner. Specifically, it was well known at this time that all faithful Jews tried to honor the law of Moses, uh, which uh, at least one of them was, uh, that you did not work on Sundays. One of the very specific codes meant that even kneading was forbidden. Kneading. K-N-E-A-D-I-N-G. Jesus sinned by kneading mud on the Sabbath 
which he used to restore the man's eyesight. God would never sanction such a thing on the Sabbath as kneading mud? Part of the Mosaic Code. And so the Pharisees interrogate now the man who had been born blind. How were you healed? How could a sinner do such a thing? And so forth. The Pharisees were legalists. That means the ultimate value of their religion, their God, in effect, was laws and rules and more laws and more rules. And when God showed up in Jesus, fulfilling and transcending the law, they couldn't see it. They couldn't see the light. They couldn't see that restoring sight to a man or forgiving someone and giving that person new life or loving someone back into existence was more powerful than obeying every law to the very letter. Do we sometimes do that with the law, even God's law, reducing the power of our faith to these laws? It happens all the time. Every time someone makes the mistake of saying that because it says so in the Bible or because it says so in our church constitution or choose your book, it must be true for all times and all places. And yet, there are norms, customs, laws right out of the Bible that are not relevant for us today. Why? Because most of the laws that guide us, even from the Bible, are not absolute and cannot be confused with the power of God to give life. If we do confuse them, we are in the unfortunate position of arguing that women, who have, that, that, that women have a subordinate place in the family and the church, because it says so in the Bible, that slaves should submit to their masters, that capital punishment of your children is warranted under circum, certain circumstances, yikes, and that healing and helping people on the Sabbath is wrong. So, time to shut down hospitals on Sundays. Virtually all norms and laws in Scripture, and Luther taught this as well, uh, as well as church constitutions and bylaws, must be renegotiated with the guidance of the Holy Spirit for new times and places. To fail to see this is to fall victim to the blindness of legalism. It is to be alienated from God. Jesus made this very clear. As their blindness grows, the Pharisees decide to talk to the parents of the man who was blind, thinking they can bully these common folk and extract a confession from them that their son was not actually blind didn't really happen, that this whole healing thing was fake news. So they try to intimidate the parents with the threat of expulsion from the synagogue. The parents don't cave, but they're clearly afraid, and they defer to their son for more details. And so the Pharisees are back at it again with a man who once was blind but now sees. They have a relentless need to be in control of the situation. How could he do this if he was a sinner? The Pharisees fuss and fume and grow redundant. And the man who was blind says, this is one of my favorite ones, he says, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, but one thing I do know, though, I once was blind, but now I see. So what do you think about that? <laughs> this guy's getting a little feisty, isn't he? Kind of 
talking smack to the Pharisees. In other words, oh, did Jesus commit the mortal sin of kneading mud on the wrong day? Forgive me for not being too concerned about that. All I know is he just transformed my life. Does that count for anything, you guys? <laughs> then they ask once again how Jesus opened his eyes. And the man who was blind increases his combative tone. I've already answered that. You, you, you want me to tell you again? Perhaps you want to become his disciples, he says. Now the Pharisees are really ticked, and their blindness increases. We think you are a disciple of his. They throw at him. We, however, are disciples of Moses. And you can just see their chins being thrust upward into the, into the air. And finally, the man who had been blind launches into a devastating rebuttal. Here's an astonishing thing, he says. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Never once since the world began has someone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. At which time the Pharisees slurred him for being born into sin, i.e. blindness, and and drove him out. So let me ask you, fellow Mount Carmelites, do you think faith and conviction can give you a little bit of courage? Based on this story? Or your life? I think so. I know so. This nobody, this nobody was standing up to the most powerful men in his society and getting the best of them because he had the truth on his side, the power of love. Perhaps we are too sheepish and passive in the face of those who would seek to control us and silence us. Who is that in our world? Who is that in your world? I invite you to discern. Who knows? We might find that faith even gives us a little bit of sass. Enter Jesus again. Hearing that the man who had been blind was driven out, Jesus asked him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? Uh, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, The one who is speaking to you is he. Lord, I believe, he said. And he worshiped Jesus. In a stunning summary statement, Jesus then says, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and those who do, say, who do see may become blind. And at this point, we know clearly who is who. The ones who thought they could see more clearly than anyone kept spiraling into ever greater levels of blindness. And the one who started out without sight not only acquired it, but also acquired the vision that comes with faith, first physically, then spiritually. The man who had been blind went from referring to, yeah, some guy named Jesus, to, I think he's a prophet, to, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but I once was blind and now I see, 
to finally, he calls him what? Lord. Lord, I believe. And what does it mean finally for John, the gospel writer, to have sight, to see? Finally, it doesn't mean wisdom. It doesn't mean moral superiority or obedience. It doesn't mean intellect or understanding. It means you can see Jesus. You can see Jesus for who he is, the Son of God, the God of love, the one who redefines our relationship with the living God and takes away the sin of the world, which is unfaith, to see is to have faith in the God of love, love the most powerful force in the universe. Make no mistake about it, never doubt that. So to see is to have faith, to trust in the transformative power of love made manifest in Jesus. Amen.